listeners, welcome to Ohio Mysteries, where each episode we will share with you a story that has defied explanation or resolution for years, decades, even centuries. I'm your co-host Stephen Yoder, and with me is our research and storyteller, Paula Schleiss, an award-winning journalist who spent more than 30 years telling these kinds of stories as a reporter with the Akron Beacon Journal. Hi, everybody. Man, I'm telling you what, it is loud out there. On my way over, I was uh, coming down the road, watching everybody get ready for the fireworks at Portage Lakes, and now we have some of your neighbors out here shooting off fireworks, so. Well, it might be appropriate for a, a nice little creepy storytelling night. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so those exactly. are fireworks. We're They're not fireworks. under attack. <laughs> We're not under attack. We're not eating Rice Krispies at the table, I promise you. So, uh... So, uh, Paula, today I hear you're going to tell us a haunted spot that a lot of folks in Northeast Ohio personally acquainted with. As a matter of fact, if you live within driving distance of Wayne County, you are almost obligated as a youth to visit Rogue's Hollow, usually in the dead of night, a carload of squeamish friends. I say this because my siblings have done it, but I have not. I have been a chicken. Oh, wow. Well, you have missed out because it is a rite of passage for sure. Have you declined offers to take you down there before? Um, yes, I have. I've decided that I was not going to go down on Crybaby Bridge and, you know, in the middle of the night or, you know, look at the headless devil or whatever's down there. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, you know, I've always been like that. Um, you know, haunted houses and stuff. Now, I'm, you know, if you want to pay me money to scare you, I'll do it. But I'm not going to pay money to get, you know, get scared. To get scared yourself. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, um, I, I admit that although I've been down in that area many times, I've never gone down there just to, you know, just to investigate what Rogue's Hollow is. However, I've heard so many stories growing up, as a lot of people probably in Northeast Ohio have. I've read stories online about people coming from all over to visit, you know, the hollow. So. Uh, it has quite the reputation. You know, I I was a late bloomer myself, which is strange because one of my best friends lived in Chippewa Township, which is where Rogue's Hollow is located. But I didn't make it there myself till I was in my 40s. Oh, it's, tell me about that. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the local historical society, which owns the land and a museum on the property, they did and still do invite ghost hunting groups in. And my sister Sue is an avid ghost hunter, and she uh, asked me to go with her one evening, and so I joined her on an excursion, and and so it was like the middle of the night, I think it was midnight while we were down there, <laughs> and she showed me how to use the divining rods, which are basically metal hangers that are cut and bent, and I think she had some other tools, things that read changes in temperature, and we had the run of the hollow. It, it featured a trail through these thick woods, and uh, this was all done at night, so we had the benefit of the witching hour. Nice. And, I, you know, I have a couple of memories of that night. One's kind of funny and, and one's kind of creepy. The funny one was a moment when we were alone in the woods. We were concentrating very hard on trying to pick up a disturbance in the force. And suddenly, my sister Sue gasps, and she points at my chest and says, What's that? And I look down at my chest, and there's this soft glow coming from above my, my breast, near my shoulder, beneath my shirt. And I really should have taken my time and played this moment for all it's worth, but I just couldn't help but laughing. <laughs> I have a habit of slipping my cell phone inside my shirt and beneath my bra strap. And come on, ladies, you know I'm not the only one that does this. And it was muted, so if anyone called, it wouldn't disturb anyone, but that wouldn't stop the light from glowing. So... <laughs> 
So the, the ghost hunters wanted so bad to leave with a, a legitimate experience that night, and I really wish I I had a, a spirit lighting up my chest for them. But alas, <laughs> it, it was technology it was the, it and was not the a technology, spirit. technology, right, right. The creepy story had nothing to do with ghosts, but it really set the tone for much of our night. Uh, again, we were alone in the woods. We couldn't see any other ghost hunters around when some animal apparently was being eaten alive by a predator, and it was screaming. It was horrifying, this high-pitched plea for mercy. And then it would fall silent, and we would take a couple of steps, and then it would start screaming bloody murder again. And this went on for like 20 minutes. And if I knew where it was, I would have ran to the rescue. I would have stopped it. If that's what it was. I, well, <laughs> it, indeed. I believe it was. I, I assumed it was finally killed the poor thing when it fell silent. But, man, I had a chill up my spine the rest of the night. I bet. That was, I was on edge for any sound or, or any Ooh. expressions of strange things going on in those woods. Right, right. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, I've always heard stories. That's just another one to add to it. All right, so what's the history of Rogue's Hollow anyway? How did this unassuming piece of land in Wayne County ever earn such a reputation? And more importantly, is any of it deserved? Yeah, well, you know, it, it's really a fascinating history. Um, you know, Chippewa Township was settled in 1815. That's just a few years after Ohio became a state. So, you know, Wayne County was as rugged a territory as it came. And ironically, Rogue's Hollow, the area of the township that would come to be known as the most lawless, godforsaken corner of the township, was actually settled by a peaceful, God-fearing family called the Chittisters. And Samuel Chittister, he had moved to Ohio from New Jersey. Uh, he was a strict Presbyterian. So you can only imagine his dismay at watching what was about to happen to his new adopted home. Uh-oh. And also ironic, the Chippewa Indians had once called this area Nebrera. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And it means a beautiful valley. And yet that name would not be the one that survived the centuries. This uh, area would soon be named for the rascals and ne'er-do-wells. The rogues. That, that, yes, the rogues that would come to inhabit it. So, you know, soon after moving to Wayne County, um, you know, the Ohio Canal started coming through there, and there were a handful of settler farmers, and they were suddenly joined by men building the canal or businessmen who were poising themselves to take advantage of was what was going to be Ohio's new highway. Uh, and then in 1840, coal was discovered. So is this uh, 1840? Is this after the canal was built? Uh, the canal is still being built okay, but at some that of these time, workers... but it's going on at the same time. Okay. So you've got the men coming in to build the canal and setting down roots, and now you find this coal in, in what becomes Rogue's Hollow. And this is high-quality coal. This is uh, plentiful. The need for it at that time was very great. And everyone was pulling out of the ground. Neighbors, uh, residents, were tearing up their backyards wow. and digging it. And then, of course, you had these very organized efforts that came in to dig deep and install mine shafts and, and drag that black gold out of the ground. And, of course, there are indirect consequences of an operation that attracts men from all over the state and beyond. First, you're creating this huge pool of strangers, um, all brought in together for the purpose of making money. And so Rogue's Hollow was not becoming the family-friendly neighborhood the Chittisters might have imagined. It was the Wild West. I was about to say, it sounds like the Wild West to me. It's almost like the Wild West comes to, you know... 
Dwayne uh, County. The, yeah, suburb of Akron there. And, you know, maybe they don't have the police force out there that, you know, Akron would have had at that time. But, yeah, you know. I'm sure they didn't. And what do you, what do you, when you think of the Wild West, what's one establishment that pops into your mind right away? Lots of drinking. Lots of drinking. Yeah, lots of drinking. Well, absolutely. At one point, there were five or six saloons just in the hollow. Wow. Five or six saloons. And they opened to take advantage of all that pocket money these coal miners were carrying around. And the saloons would open at the beginning of the month when everybody got paid. And they would keep the liquor flowing till the middle of the month when all the miners were broke. And then they would close up until the beginning wow. of the next month when it was payday again. So for two or three weeks out of every month, Rogue's Hollow became this infamous watering hole. Now, to be honest, you don't need a ghost story to delight in the reputation of Rogue's Hollow. I had the pleasure of perusing some 19th century newspapers, and son of a gun, its reputation is well-deserved. So let me share some news from the late 1800s. All right. Uh, these were printed in the Summit Beacon. That was the forerunner of the Akron Beacon Journal. Uh, Akron being in the next door county. Um, so lots of these reports were written by correspondents who were usually only identified by a first name or an initial. And after hearing about the drunk and gun-toting rabble-rousers of the hollow, I can't blame them for not slapping a full byline on these news. <laughs> All right, that's her. All right. Um, and these reports, they're, they're often quite colorful, so I'm going to read some of these verbatim so you get the full flavor of the time. Uh, here's one from 1883, and the article reads, News reaches this place from the historic Rogue's Hollow that a battle has taken place. The results, as we learn, are one boy was caught in bed and nearly hammered to death, and the residence of Mrs. Lane, a widow, completely cleaned out, breaking stove, table, chairs, dishes, and killing her dog. And it was only with the exertion of every effort that an illegitimate child in the family was spared. The rioters had been watching over the dead body of a child when suddenly they felt the inspiring call to engage in more noble efforts, henceforth the results. The dead child belonged to one Lincoln Jenkins, formerly of Medina County, and it is reported that while preparing for the funeral, Lincoln and his wife had hard words and finally asked for a stay of ceremonies long enough for a knockdown. This accomplished, the ceremonies continued with the calmness and solemnity usual upon funeral occasions. So you kind of have you gotta you have to read this backwards uh -huh. to interpret it. So let me get this right. The parents of a dead child are arguing over funeral arrangements. This precipitates a riot that results in mourners, A, trying to beat a boy in bed with a hammer, B, killing the dog and wrecking the home of a widow, and three, barely restraining themselves from harming another child, specifically a lad who was illegitimate. Wow. And after they got that all out of their system, <laughs> everybody was nice and calm at the cemetery. Oh. As if we should just... Forget about the yeah. dead dog and the two beaten children. You know, hey, this, this is the hollow. These things right. happen. We got it out of our system. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I, this place was the Wild West. So here's a, another news report. Oh, in, I can't wait for this in one. The, in the Beacon. Um, and 
Some of these items were featured on a page. It kind of looked like a 19th century police blotter. So they're, they're really short, but kind of lively. Um, quote, A gentleman in the neighborhood of Rogue's Hollow had a lively racket with one Mrs. Ellis over a dogfight one day last week. Mrs. E must come out, must have come out best as the gentleman entered suit against her for assault and battery before Justice Weaver. He failed to appear against her yesterday, and the case was dismissed. Now, I'm throwing this one in here because I gotta tell you, sounds like Rogue's Hollow is not the place to be if you're a dog. Right. <laughs> Maybe it's a place fit for man, but not beast. So their dogs got into a fight. Uh, well, a dog. There was something involving a dog fight, but the reporter, uh, you know, really kind of hammered the gentleman for not winning that fight because since he's the one suing the woman for right. assault and battery, right. apparently she the women the, there were tough. Yeah, she beat the crap out of him. Oh yeah, the uh, women in the hollow were tough. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna find that out here with with some other stories I've got. <laughs> so, you know, there there were so many reports of the drunk and disorderly kind and. And I, I can't read them all, but here's one of my favorites. Okay, this is going to be another dog, right? Uh, no dog okay, in this one, right. okay? But but it's it's laughable. Okay, so it's 1881, okay. this news report. There are two minors. They're demanding entrance into the home of a third who lives in the hollow. But the guy's wife is there and, and greets him at the door and says, uh, yeah, my husband can't talk to you. He's in jail right now. So, eh, that's not news. You know, a lot of people in, in the hollow spend some time right. in jail. Devil so saloon. The, yeah. okay. the, these guys left and went to the saloon and got drunk and decided to return to this woman's house. So they break into the house, cause some general chaos, and when the lady of the home demands they leave, they fire seven shots at her. What? And the article quickly concludes that, don't worry, Mrs. Miller, Mrs. Miller is having them arrested. And I'm like, what? Whoa. She has to ask for them to be right. arrested? Right. And is she alive? Because she's been shot at seven times. Well, these were some really <laughs> drunk guys, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I'm, just, I'm like, yeah, it's the hollow. No worries. She'll have the hooligans arrested. Right, don't worry about and it. And I'm like, I'm worried about PD whether she's alive. Take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a here's another one from 1881. So we've got two young married men named Chick and Stebbins. And they have a dog. <laughs> There's, again, no dog. Okay, all right. But there is a, a something similar to the previous story here. Okay. The story notes that they are in the habit of frequenting the hollow for, quote, the liquor peculiar to that locality mm. when they got into a fight. Chick draws his revolver, fires four shots at Stebbins, misses him all four times. Whoa. So here's another important thing we've learned about the hollow. As bad a reputation as it had, these miners have very bad aim. Yes. Yeah, yes. nobody's dying. They're not breathing, and they're <laughs> holding their breath when they're pulling the trigger or something. Well, <laughs> I'm wondering if it's an occupational disability, like working in the dark all the time is just, you know. Right. I, I, right, just so, too drunk to shoot. So it, it's sort of dangerous in the hollow, but not as dangerous as you might expect because nobody can hit the side of it. Exactly. Bar. I think I'd be, I'd feel a little more safer if, you know, somebody pulls out a gun instead of a knife. Yeah. Right. Right, because, right, uh, right. So here's a, here's a report a little bit earlier than that. This is a report from 1877. And uh, I swear, some of the humor in these articles is really in 
seeing what the reporter chose to include, things that probably wouldn't be included in a modern-day news story. So <laughs> in this uh, brief recount, a guy by the name of John Gillespie uh, reports that he fell asleep on the sidewalk on Mill Street and was robbed of $50, for which he intends to sue the city. So clearly there's an implied belief that if you fall asleep on a sidewalk with amounts, what amounts to be a small fortune hanging out of your pocket, there, there's an implied safety in doing that that, right. that he was not provided. Right. Because I fell asleep with $500 in my pockets. So. On the sidewalk of the right. street. And yeah. it's the city's fault. It's the city's fault. It's the city's fault. But here's the fun part. The story notes that Gillespie is the brother of the woman who, quote, got drunk and was overturned on North Broadway a few nights ago. Oh. Yeah. Now, I have no idea what it means to get overturned. Overturned. If you're drunk and you get overturned... Yeah. Did she topple? Did she? She Did somebody topple her? I don't know. But I I love how the reporter couldn't resist throwing it in there like, hey, neighbors, this doofus we're talking about? Yeah, it's his sister who got drunk and was overturned the other night. Overturned. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so he's not going to live that down. Right. His his sister, the the overturned woman. She's always getting overturned, man. (laughs) I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Right. And what was his name? What was the, did they... John Gillespie. Gillespie. Yeah. Gillespie wasn't yeah. overturned. No, no. He was no. robbed of $50 while his sleeping on the sidewalk. So, right. again, normal stuff. So, uh, so here's, here's a report from 1884. And this makes me think that maybe the hollow was deciding there were better ways of exchanging some fisticuffs, making some money from it, and nobody going to jail. So the Summit Beacon... Uh, has someone reporting to them that they had been driving by the hollow when they saw a large gathering of men and boys, so they stopped to see what was going on. And it turned out to be a real prize fight. They had a staked-out arena on the field next to the street, and there were two men duking it out for a promised $100 reward. Now, the belligerents, as the newspaper called them, were William Kassenheiser, a 17-year-old 130-pounder, and O.S. Sebbins. I wonder if he's related to... No, that was Stebbins. Anyway, Sebbins is a 32-year-old 135-pounder. Okay, so they're in the weight They're in the weight class, so that's good. They're lightweights. Not, a, not yes. a heavyweight versus a lightweight no. here. Okay. The age is a little... Might be a yeah. little unfair. I, you know, so. 32 years, you have the experience, you know? Yeah, but 17... I don't know. Got the the speed. Yeah, the maybe. Flexibility. Yeah, I could see that. Well, I'm going to tell you who's going to win this. But first, oh, okay. I love the point that it, it reported that both men had seconds. And I, I know this term because they use it in dueling. Oh. So I'm not sure the role of a second, but maybe they kind of wipe, wipe your brow and shout, get him at, at certain intervals. Maybe. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they both had seconds with them. Anyway, the, the bruisers fought it out. And who's your guess for the winner? I'm going to guess the 32-year-old still. Yeah, you're going with the I'm experience? I'm going with the experience. It was that 17-year-old rapscallion, William Kassenheiser. Dang it, he cheated. He won, and he was officially declared the lightweight champion of Rogue's Hollow. Wow. Right there in the field alongside the... So, yeah. 
I think it was thrown. <laughs> I think I think the, I think the thirty-two-year-old had money on the seventeen-year-old. Oh. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to put anything past the Brooks Hollow people That's because right. they were wild and crazy. <laughs> so now. You know, as colorful as these stories are, they are not the stories that have survived over the years. You never hear anybody, anybody talking about these, although they should, because they're hilarious. Right, they are hilarious. Um, the Hollow today has a pure ghostly reputation, and those are the tales that can't be confirmed for obvious reasons. Um, but there are two rather creepy stories that the local historical society lends some credence to, according to a speaker I heard during a library talk earlier this year. This one's really wild, okay. okay, but, you know, I guess I could imagine it. So this is the story of a local doctor, and he's called to attend a sick child in Doylestown. Doylestown is the, the village within the township. And apparently the child was beyond help, and he soon died. Well, the doctor asked the family if he could autopsy the child, and the parents declined. You know, back then, I, I imagine that would have, there were probably religious reasons and cultural oh, reasons yeah. why you didn't want to see your child. Yeah. As a matter of fact, doctors would um, go to the, you know, grave sites and dig up bodies just so they could, you know, learn the, you know, it was, a, you know, inside, you know, and I mean, it's not by, it's not, you know, it's, it's something that was different back then. Well, it's funny you should mention that because that's exactly what happens. This doctor, he's not, he's oh, not going to wow. be put off. So he pays some men to go out the night after the boy's burial, dig him up, bring the body to his office to autopsy, and then after a quick dissection, uh, return the boy to his grave. <laughs> well, the creepy part of the story is that one of the men uh, who are, are on this uh, detail talked his fellow grave digger into letting him take the place of the boy in the coffin so they could swing by a tavern and punk their friends. So they removed the corpse, left it in some woods, and the guy crawls into the pine box where this dead child was, and his driver takes the wagon to the tavern, and where the guy inside the box, he lays in wait until he's got his desired audience, and then he sits up in the coffin, <laughs> and, you know, everybody has to run home to change their underwear then. Right. So, you know, it's everyone had a good fright, and then, of course, after they're done, they have to take the wagon back down the road, find the little boy's body, you know, leg on the side of the road, stick it back in the wagon and deliver it to the doctor. That's a story, I, you know, I don't know what evidence they have for that story happening, but that's something that um, the Chippewa Township Historical Society has looked into and and passes off as something that likely Pretty legitimate. happened. Yeah. Um, the other story that some local historians like involves the tale of a large, slithering monster that was eating up the local livestock and the domestic animals. And they credit this brief reign of terror to a 15-foot python. A python? And, yes. Well, there was a, a train that went through town, and the story goes that this, I, I don't know if the circus train stopped in town to do a show and the python got loose, or some say the, the python fell off the train just as it was passing through, and the, uh, the hungry snake uh, was gobbling up the, the local... Uh, the local domestic animals and stock. But, you know, to be honest, I've heard this story before. Uh, actually, in neighboring Summit County in Peninsula, they even throw an annual python festival to celebrate the lore of the circus snake that terrorized their Where's Where is this at? I've never heard of this. Peninsula. Peninsula. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, like on the, uh, that's north of uh, Akron, that's right. so I saw. 
in okay. the Kaga Valley uh, National Park. They're they're right inside there. And yeah, if you go through town, everybody will tell you the story of the python. So, you know, unless the circus had a really incompetent snake handler who <laughs> was always letting his giant snakes escape, uh, you know, I, I would probably pass on this story. Right. Um, but there were lots of other stories, uh, you know, unconfirmed. There were rumors of a counterfeiting operation in town. Um, we're talking about money counterfeiting, uh, Yes, right? yes, yeah. money counterfeiting. That added to the, you know, the rascal reputation. Uh, oh, here's a fun story. I asked my uh, brother Tom if he had ever been to Rogue's Hollow, and he said that he went uh, when he was a senior in high school, and he said the one thing that, uh, one experience that he had while he was there that he could never explain that he always thinks about when people bring, bring up Rogue's Hollow is they were standing there and they heard a train blowing in the distance and they looked up and they saw the light of the locomotive locomotive headed in their direction. Uh And so they waited, but the sound went away, the light went away, and the train never arrived. It's a ghost train? And, well, it's funny you should say that because I told him, you know they're famous for having a ghost train. And he had never heard that. But the, the library talk that I attended from the Historical Society said they are famous for having a ghost train that passes through in the middle of the night and blares its horn as its ethereal engine floats along the tracks. And so I thought, well, Tom not even knowing that that was a big right, myth that, associated yeah. with Rosalo. That's interesting. Like, he heard it and saw it, so that was kind of fun. That is cool. And, you know, Rogue's Hollow is also different from other haunted locales in that it doesn't have a legend of a headless horseman. It has the legend of the headless horse. Oh, oh, so, uh, okay, that's a little different. Yeah, apparently the story is the horse was spooked and tore through the woods, decapitating itself on a low-hanging tree branch. So, there, we have the headless horse. The headless horse. There are not too many of those. Right. Um, Well, we can add the headless horseman on the headless horse and... No. Oh, that would be interesting. That'd be pretty cool, that would right? really be unique. Yeah, we're, we're making that official right now. So <laughs> we need to team up with Sleepy Hollow and see if we could borrow their headless horse. There you go. All there right. you go. Now, um, Rogue's Hollow is known for something else that is not unique. Okay. And that is Crybaby Bridge. Oh, yeah. Crybaby Bridge. So the, the, the first time I ever heard of Crybaby Bridge, it, it was Rogue's Hollow. You know, and I'm sure, you know, everybody around the state probably knows, you know, different spots where that, you know, they associate it with, right? Did you, well, yeah, actually, there are 23 bridges in Ohio that carry the nickname Crybaby Bridge. So oh. they all have a similar story. What what kind of story did you hear associated with Crybaby Oh, Baby my Bridge? mom used to tell me that, you know, when she was a teenager, she'd go down to Rogue's Hollow. And, you know, in my mind, this ba- this bridge was huge, you know? This bridge was really long. It might have been 100 feet in the air. And she said she would hear, you know, midnight, she would hear babies you know, crying, uh, a train wreck happened, a bunch of foster kids just died there at the track, you know? Do you think she believed it? Or was no, she was, she was just trying to scare us, yeah. So, you know, I heard the bridge is uh, hardly a bridge at all. <laughs> uh, the bridge, you know, it takes about maybe 15 steps to walk across the bridge. 15 steps? So it's, it's pretty small. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there, there are kind of similar stories. A lot of them involve... Uh, uh, you know, they say a woman threw an unwanted baby into the water, and now the infant's ghost will wail to get the attention of the passers-by. Um, so, yeah, I, I hadn't heard about foster children. So that yeah, was yeah. I don't, I don't know. It made sense to me when I was a kid. So. <laughs> the, the great, the famous 
Adoption foster train. Right. Ghost it, train. Maybe it was like, I'm going to drop you off to be adopted, you know, since you're being so bad. And you know what happened to them. Oh, oh. <laughs> maybe, I'm not sure. That, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Right. But, you know, it's, it's for more than a century, mothers have been scaring their kids into submission by threatening, if you're not good, I'll take you down to the hollow. So, you know, your mom was holding up a very tried and true tradition when yeah. she, when she, you know, probably. tried to scare you. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I heard Jesse James came and hit out over here in Rogue's Hollow. Is that true? Yeah, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, but you know what? There were some gangsters in that area that came through Northeast Ohio and left their mark. And, you know, maybe we'll do a, an Ohio Mysteries episode on them because... Yeah. Uh, yeah, Akron's got a couple of locations that they associate with uh, gangsters. Wow. And, uh, yeah, but not the hollow. Not the hollow, Not okay. that we know right. of. Not not their time. It was yeah. it was a little too early for them, I, too. I read somewhere else that there was a guy who came down with some counterfeit, like, either paintings or pictures of the Chicago World's Fair back in the 1890s, and... Um, you know, that, that's a connection with A.J. Holmes, you know, the first, you know, urban serial killer, you know. And oh, that's a he, great I guess story. it was um, some really, really, uh, he sold the photo. He collected money for the photos and didn't, you know, didn't come back with the photo. Something like that. But I, I heard a story about that. It was good. So I guess there was a lot of people, you know, trying to rip off, you know, people, down, especially when payday happened, you know. Oh, yeah. So I heard, oh, I I've heard some that. stories down there, you know. Well, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. So if right. you, you know, there's... Obviously, money where there's money and drinking going on, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Who knows what's going on down there? Um, and you know some of the fanciful stories we might owe to the Irish. Um, you know the coal mines brought in a diverse collection of humanity. There were blacks who came up from the south, and they actually went on to become the first black families to settle in the nearby city of Wadsworth. And there were lots of immigrant groups. And um, including the Irish. And the Irish were the ones that had that wonderful folklore. You know, stories of the wee people and these otherworldly travel dimension beings. Uh -huh. um, so that certainly could have contributed to tales that have been passed on, you know, for generations. They, they love telling stories like that. Right. So that could have, have helped do that. So, you know, the, the Hollows the mythology was so embedded in local culture that a book of scary stories attributed to the land was published in 1958. So 60 years ago, they're already publishing books with these stories because it's got such a reputation. Right. Huh. So we're, we're talking about a time period that, you know, right after the Civil War is when that, you know, the coal mining started, you know? I mean, yeah, well, the, the, well the, the, the coal mining was before the Civil War, but okay. it continued into the 20th century. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there we're not talking about a very brief period of time. We're talking about, you know, decades that this kind of activity was going on there. Right. So, so that, I mean, you're thinking about it. That area, you know, exploded with mines. I, I, I'm probably not, you know, any information on it, but population must have spiked pretty big, you know, in the... Doylestown area at that point. I would imagine, especially at the same time that the canal was being built. Right. But if you're ever down there, it's just kind of neat to stand, you know, in the hollow and look around. You, the, these hills rise on both sides. And just picturing all these saloons there and all these, you know, coal miners and canal builders going from saloon to saloon and drinking up their paychecks and... Oh, it must have been a sight. It must have been. It must, it have, must been have been. A sight. I, I was reading some of the names of the saloons and stuff, which was one was like the Devil's Saloon or something like that. But 
I guess that's where like the really bad stuff happened. If you name your if you name your saloon Devil's Saloon, <laughs> you're asking <laughs> yeah, for it. That's right. That's you're right. Yeah. You want the guy who's just put the corpse of the child in the woods to come visit you. Exactly. That's probably where he came. You know, that's probably, <laughs> probably. where it was. But yeah, there was um there. That's a lot of saloons. So I, absolutely, that population had to be pretty big. I can at least offer one possible answer to the mystery of ro how Rogue's Hollow got its name. Okay, let's let's. And there's more than one story, but this is the one that the local historic, historical society leans to. And that was, there was this uh, local Dr. Crosby. He was an Akron doctor, actually. And he rented out a lot of property in the hollow. And once a month, he would go into the hollow to collect his rent. And word would travel, the good doctor's in town. And uh, typically, many of his tenants would scatter to avoid seeing him and having to pay him. And Dr. They spent it all on the saloons. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Crosby took to calling them those rogues. So uh, there's a local atlas in uh, 1875 that was already using the name Rogues Hollow uh, for the name of the area. And a lot of people attribute it to Dr. Crosby calling them those rogues. Oh, wow. <laughs> I also read like um, later in, I think it was like the 1890s, they tried changing the name of the, did you ever read that? You know, yeah, I read that there have been actually several names for that area. Pleasant Valley. Pleasant Valley, that's um, right. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah, they were Pleasant trying Valley. really hard. Right. But actually, there were a lot of people that loved the reputation of Rogue's Hollow. And, you know, even today, the you know the Historical Society owns the property. They've got a museum. They invite ghost hunters in. So, you know, when you've got a small rural township like that, anything that attracts, you know, some tourism bucks, you know, is a good thing. And, you know, they're taking advantage of it. I'm sure there was a period where it probably annoyed the heck out of everybody to have, you know, visitors coming in in the middle of the night, you know, down their, you know, their their two lane roads and over their bridges and getting out and looking for ghosts. And now they, they kind of welcome it. I'm sure they would appreciate if you come when there's an organized event as <laughs> right. opposed to, you know, the middle of any night. But yeah, they're taking advantage of it. Oh, that's that's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, it's always been, you know, something that you heard a lot about growing up, you know, and you always, you know, you read all those myths about Jesse James hiding out there and, uh, you know, the headless horse, I guess it is. So that's great. And the ghost train. And the ghost train and the python running around. And the python <laughs> and the crybaby bridge. The crybaby bridge, that's right. That's it for now. Be sure to visit our website at ohiomysteries.com where we have our photos, news clippings, videos, links associated with each and every episode. And if you like our podcast, there are a few ways you could support us. First and foremost, please tell your friends and family about us. You can also visit our Facebook page and like us. Share our link on your own Facebook as well and follow us on Twitter. On our website, you'll also find links to our Patreon page, where you can send a little spare change our way, or go directly to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, and search for Ohio Mysteries. For a donation as small as a dollar a month, we'll give you a personal shout-out on a future podcast, as well as our heartfelt thanks. And there are special perks for other tiers on our Patreon. Steve, nobody likes to ask for money, especially us. 
these podcasts are truly a labor of love. But until we land that major national sponsor, every little bit will help pay the expenses we incur with bringing you these stories each week. So, enough of that. Thanks for joining us this week. And we'll see you next week for another Ohio mystery. Until then, keep the fire burning and happy camping. might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either she's wendy and i'm beth and together we host fruit loops serial killers of color a true crime podcast together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold we also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve at fruit loops we're serving up true crime with a side of history society culture and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.